Today we're going to begin with a reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. You'll find that in your table Bible on page 1156. We're going to read Galatians 4 verses 1 to 7. Now Galatians, even with a page number, could be a little tricky to find. Go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and then just begin to put on the brakes. Tap the brakes when you get to the end of 2 Corinthians, or you'll skid right past Galatians. Page 1156. And there it is, Galatians 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 7. I mean that the heir as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also were, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Might not seem like a Christmas reading, but you know what? If you listen very carefully to those words, then you realize the remarkable thing that the Apostle Paul is telling us about the birth of Jesus, that it happened precisely when God intended it to, that the timing was perfect. And this is why we need to think about that today, because when we consider Jesus' birth, there are certain things we just take for granted. Thanks to a little song called, O Little Town of Bethlehem, we all can say, that's where Jesus was born. But have you ever considered how unlikely it was that he would be born there? That the odds were against it, to be quite frank, because in fact, Jesus was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem by the prophet Micah, but apart from that, there was no reason why it would have happened that way, except a little bit of human history started happening. If you've ever read or watched a version of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, then you might know that once upon a time, Julius Caesar was murdered by his closest confidants, who then orchestrated an overthrow of the government. They put into place Caesar's grand-nephew, Augustus Caesar, so that they would have someone there they could manipulate, because he seemed like someone they could control and therefore make their coup permanent. Except Augustus was pals with Mark Antony, and Mark Antony was a pretty savvy character, and he helped little Augustus engineer his own overthrow of the overthrow. Consequently, a lot of people who were involved in the conspiracy ended up losing their jobs and even their lives 
And there was a real time of peace in Rome at, the, at this period. So much so that Augustus began a great public works project. He built lots of remarkable things, fountains and, and uh, buildings and monuments to himself, of course. Because from that point forward, Augustus would be the, the, the word that represents the great Caesar. And they would come back to that term later when there were contention, contenders for the role of Caesar. And so it would be said, no, I am Augustus, the august, the all-powerful Caesar. Now here's the thing. All those public works projects cost money. And so it came to pass that Caesar Augustus ordered by way of decree a census and a taxation of all the people in all the provinces and lands under Roman control. And thus it would come to pass that a messenger would be sent to Judea, probably got on a boat somewhere near Rome and a port somewhere close by, then making a perilous journey across the Mediterranean Sea that might have taken several days or might have taken several weeks. It just depended on the weather. With a favorable wind and good seas, it might have been a very rapid trip with storms and things. They may have been capsized and sunk and the message never arrived. Nevertheless, at exactly the right time, the messenger gets to Judea, and then the message is dispersed to all the towns and communities in Judea under Roman control, so that eventually Joseph would go to his mailbox and get a letter from the IRS in Rome saying, you have to go to your town of origin, to the place of your fathers, and be counted so that we can assess a new tax upon you, and you should do this immediately upon opening this envelope. Okay, that part was a little bit colorized for my sake, but can you imagine then? Joseph goes into Mary and says, hey, Mary, guess what? I got to go to Bethlehem, 70 miles to the south for this tax deal. And Mary says, Joe, look at me. <laughs> this baby's coming any time and I don't know if it's a good idea for you to leave right now. And he says, well, I guess you better go with me then. And so off they go. Can you imagine a three or four day journey when this poor woman is about to give birth to her first child? I am the father of five and I'm married to the best mom I know. And one thing I can tell you about pregnancies that I've experienced is they happen on the baby's time frame. That the, the deliveries, I should say, that the deliveries come when, when baby's ready to come, and there's not much you can say about that. And it seems that it's even more unpredictable with the first-time mom. So can you imagine how they must have felt when they set out on this journey to Bethlehem? And can I point out to you that if the message had come a week earlier, they might have gone to Bethlehem and been back in time to have the baby in Nazareth. If the message had come a week later, they might have had the baby in Nazareth instead of Bethlehem. But because through the prophet Micah, God stated plainly that 
this child would become the one who would occupy David's throne because he was from the house of David and therefore he would be born in the home of David in Bethlehem. God orchestrated everything that affected the timing so that when they got to Bethlehem and all the hotels were booked and nobody even had a spare room in their house and one guy said, you can use my garage. They had to been thinking, what on earth is your plan, God? This is crazy. And yet, in perfect fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus was born in what was, in effect, a outbuilding or cave, maybe, in Bethlehem at exactly the right time. And everything that was said about him related to Bethlehem and the house of David came precisely true. So what then about the timing of Jesus' arrival on the global scene, on the human history timeline? There may be something to that too, don't you think? When Jesus was born, the people of Israel were really ripe and ready for their Messiah to come maybe more so than ever in their history. Think back to their story. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in the passage we just read, that, that there is a time when in our childhood we're very dependent. We're heirs, but we're not ready to manage the affairs of our father's house. There comes a time when they're mature enough to have a hand in it all, but not mature enough to manage the affairs of the father's house. And if you look at the timeline of the history of the people of Israel, they were, in effect, like a child, as a nation, as many generations of a nation. They were like a child. They, they started out being really too dependent and too innocent and ignorant to manage their own affairs. And so God took care of every little thing. Therefore, it shouldn't surprise you when you read, say, in the book of Leviticus, rules like don't eat roadkill. And you say, what kind of ridiculous statement is that to put in the Bible when the nation was young? And they were like little children. They had to be told the most basic things by the Heavenly Father. This would eventually lead them to become the people who would give us things like law and medicine and so forth. Much credit, by the way, is given to the Greeks and the Romans, but most people don't realize the vast majority of the things that affect how we do even life in this time come from the origins of Israel and the teachings of the Heavenly Father. And so this nation, this people group, has been matured systematically over generation and generation after generation until at this precise moment, they're ready for their Messiah. So much so that even a Samaritan woman who is disrespected and despised by Jer Jewish people in Jerusalem could say with perfect confidence to Jesus, we look for the coming of the Messiah all the time. So that even marginal Jews, even people who are outside the normal, acceptable religious organizational structure are looking for the coming of the Messiah. They're ready. They're so ready there have been a number of false messiahs because these opportunists saw 
that the nation was hungry for a deliverer. So there was a sense of timing in the period in history when Jesus comes so that we could end up receiving this message and talking about it right here in a place that didn't even exist as we know it in those days. Jesus' lifetime on earth came at a time when Rome and Greece and Persia and Egypt were all basically at peace, where there was a great deal of commerce traveling back and forth. And by the way, if you look at a map of Israel and the surrounding regions, you recognize that Israel sits right in a corridor between the major continental areas of human population of that time. And Rome is the world at that time. And the world is relatively compressed at that time in human history. It's not as broad and far-flung as we know it to be now. And so for that reason, the message of Jesus is able to transmit through 12 people and their disciples of Jesus worldwide. And we're still talking about it to this day. God's timing was perfect. And that means that it never really isn't perfect, doesn't it? It's been said that God is never early and God is never late. That means that from the beginning of your life, even before, till the very last breath you breathe, God's timing is affecting you. The psalmist says that our times are in God's hands, and they really are, you know it. Every breath we breathe, God knows how many we get. Every beat of our heart, God knows how many we get. And this, this should comfort you when you think at Christmas time about the fact that every prophecy that described Jesus' coming the first time was fulfilled precisely according to God's time frame. Therefore, every prophecy that describes Jesus' return will precisely be fulfilled at precisely the time that God says. And that should be a great comfort to you, but if that's not as comforting to you, then consider this. Christmas comes every year to remind us that God's perfect timing is what we're celebrating as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and may I say, by the way, that it never could have happened around December the 25th, but that's okay. You really don't need to worry about that, but historically speaking, culturally speaking, he was almost certain to have been born in the spring or the fall, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't, not for, not for our purposes. We can enjoy the Christmas that we celebrate here in the Northern Hemisphere because it comes at a time when the days are short and the nights are dark and long, and we need a little light and a little cheer. And there ain't nothing better to celebrate than the fact that God's perfect timing brought us salvation, brought us peace with God, and therefore peace with one another. But it should also remind you that if there's something you're waiting for, for God to do in your life, if you're saying, I accepted Christ as my Savior, I believe the Holy Spirit has given me new life, but I still don't understand why I keep having this problem or this issue in my life. I don't understand why God can't help me with this or that or something else. And the answer is, is it's all according to God's timing. 
And God's timing is perfect. So sometimes the answer you're waiting for is coming, but it's just a matter of timing. The reason we need to take a moment at Christmas time to talk about God's perfect timing is because it's relevant to every day of our lives, every moment of our lives. And what we have to do, like Joseph and Mary, is persevere and understand. As I said earlier, can you imagine the look on Joseph's face when he hears the decree that says he has to go down to Bethlehem and he'll have to take his ready-to-burst-at-any-moment pregnant wife and imagine what they thought when they finally got there and found out there was no place for them to do this properly. Imagine their questions of God's plan when it looked in their minds as though everything God was doing was going wrong. But we look at it and sing songs about it and celebrate how right it was. Have you played with the little manger set at your house yet? Do you do like we do? The wise men are way across the room and they're periodically every day they make their way a little closer to the... By the way, don't put them there on Christmas Eve because that's not when they showed up. Just another one. We talk about that more after Christmas. I'll tell you when to get them there, okay? I promise. I'm going to make up my mind right now. I'll tell you on that Sunday. You can now put the wise men at the manger scene. Some people think they might not have showed up for more than two years after. That's another story. Stick to your script, Dan. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Could I just point out that that's Paul's affirmation of what we were talking about last week, which is that Mary was a regular, ordinary woman, a very special, regular, ordinary woman. And this is exactly stated because it means that in order for Jesus to remedy our problem with the law, he must be subject to the law in the same way we are. Therefore, he was born under the law of Moses, but he would die having given us the law of Jesus or the new covenant. Therefore, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Papa, because now we can call God our father, our Papa, our daddy, because we're not slaves, we're not subject to the law, we're not subject to sin and death anymore. We are sons and daughters of God because we're co-heirs with Christ. Because of God's perfect timing and perfect deliverance, the Apostle Paul says that we have become equal in God's sight to Jesus as sons and daughters of God and equal inheritors of everything that Jesus will inherit. Therefore, we look with joy ever so much more because we know that all that was said about Jesus' second coming will be fulfilled and we will then receive the fullness of God's glory through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Burn it upon our hearts now. Change our nature every day to be more conformed to you 
And Lord, help us to be patient and to accept your perfect timing in all things always so that our faith may bear witness in our attitude, in our confidence, in our poise under your leadership in a world that rejects you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.